Greetings to all my cool cats and cool kittens. They try to copy our style, but they stay frostbitten. From the broadcast to the podcast, it is your man DM Cool. And welcome back to Cool Radio. What we doing? You can catch me on your TV, even on the radio. Pop up at our blog spot, hand on my Uwego. We invading airwaves. Yes, yes, y'all. Tell a friend to tell a friend that we are back. Oh, man. This is so crazy. Ladies and gentlemen, I am your host, DJ Mante, a.k.a. DM Cool. And this is the podcast edition of Cool Radio. Oh, man. It's so good to be back. It is so good to be back. It's hard to believe that it's actually been a year or just over a year since I've actually last recorded an episode of Cool Radio or done like a live broadcast of Cool Radio, let alone recording. And honestly, there's so much that has happened during this past year. And I've had a lot of people ask me, you know, yo, DM, where you at? Where the podcast at? Are you not doing the radio show anymore? What's going on? There's so much happening out there that we need your opinion on. And so, you know what? I figure it's right for me to kind of address, you know, why I've been gone for so long and what have you. Uh, a few people know, um, most people probably don't, but that's what this is here for, right? So, on that note, I think it's time that I let that ish breathe. Let this bitch breathe! Yes, yes, okay. So, first and foremost, um, I just want to say that when it comes to cool radio... We are going to be doing the more podcasty version of this until further notice. So, for those of the, for those of you who are longtime listeners, I usually broadcast it live from Maximum FM Studios, which is located in downtown Toronto. Shout out to the good people at Maximum FM. Uh, but because of pandemic and because of the fact that we don't know when this thing is going to end, um, everything's going to be be done by home, which is why I got myself. Uh, a brand new microphone and and the whole shebang. So I'm going to be doing everything from home like everyone else has been doing. Uh, and it's going to be remote. So as far as a live broadcast is concerned, you prob- most likely will not get one. Um, as far as it being from Maximum FM, not until everything cools down at the very least. Um, every now and again, I may do... Uh, the Instagram live video and broadcast the entire the entire show as I'm recording it. Um, so I may do that from time to time. And uh, as far as guests are concerned, I will definitely have guests on the show. That will definitely still be a priority. Um, it'll just be a virtual. So we'll, we'll do it through Zoom, Skype, whichever uh, our guests prefer. So we'll definitely still have the guests. We'll definitely still have the topics that I'm going to hit at on a weekly basis. So don't you worry about that. The cool radio flavor will still be there in your ear. I promise you that much. Um, As far as where the podcast will be available, you'll definitely still have it available on SoundCloud. um, And I will make it a priority to make it available on multiple platforms, whether that be Apple Music, whether that is uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, you name it. We're going to have it all available there. And as far as where you can find the show the links will still be the same so um cool radio cc is the handle and you can find information on cool radio on facebook we got the facebook page on there um 
SoundCloud, like I just mentioned. We have the YouTube page that will be active soon. I promise you that. Um, uh, Instagram, and then as well as Twitter. So those five platforms right there. Now, we do have some topics uh, that I want to get to today. Uh, so topics that both I've been meaning to get to for a while, and also topics that are more recent that I just kind of want to air out, basically. So on the first topic that I want to talk about, I want to talk about you know why I decided to take that hiatus, that sabbatical, if you will. So again, for those of you who know, um, or rather yet, actually, for those of you who don't know, um, I've been running Cool Radio for about eight years now, so it was official as of January of 2013. Um, so I've been doing it for eight years now, and you know, there's been some changes that that have happened with the show um, as the years went by and what have you. And it got to a point where I was handling the show by myself for the last, I would say, I want to say seven years now, uh, or six and a half years, you know, if you want to be technical. But on that note. Um, there's a lot of things and there's a lot of prep that goes into the show. So apart from doing the show um, on like a weekly basis, whether that be on a Thursday or a Friday, depending on how long you've been rocking with me for, um, there's a lot of prep that goes into it. So researching the the content that I'll be discussing, that ha- happens throughout the week. Um, getting in touch with potential guests, that happens throughout the week as well. Um, the social media marketing, so tweeting about the show and posting the links and, and you know, the, the Instagram videos. And what have you. That happens throughout the week as well. Um, and then, <clears throat> of course, you have the actual air date of the show. And then from there on, I also recorded the videos um, of myself as well as myself and my guests, uh, whoever that may be. And then the video editing of that would take probably the entire weekend. It might even lead into the week as well. And then posting those videos as well. So Cool Radio is a daily thing for me. Um, you guys may see it as like a, as a weekly thing, which is totally fine and understandable, uh, but it was a daily thing, and I've been doing that for like eight years straight, um, and then, what, like five or six years by myself. Um, so it got to the point where, you know, I kind of got a little bit burnt out by the time we got to the pandemic, and even a little bit before the pandemic, I was kind of getting those feelings of fatigue, basically. Uh, I would say that when I got a new full-time gig in Toronto, um, it's funny because like you would think that it would be a lot easier for me to get to the show and, and for me to kind of be in that rhythm. Uh, but going through the daily grind, <laughs> like on, on a regular basis, Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, the whole shebang, um, it, it kind of gets a little taxi on you to the point where once you reach Friday, you're just like, man, I want to go home. You know what I mean? I don't want to be in the city any longer than I have to. Uh, so there were definitely nights where if I didn't have a guest, um, then I would you know kind of take that night off, so to speak. Uh, but if I did have a guess, then of course I would make that a priority. But it definitely is uh, quite demanding. Now, in past years, I would work. Um, I had a pretty flexible work schedule for the most part, uh, depending on what it was I was doing. Like I had some freelance gigs that I would do, and I would mix it with some part-time work that I would do it as well. Uh, but I always had my air dates booked off. So whether that was a Thursday or Friday, it was booked off. So I dedicated those days to finalizing whatever the itinerary was for the day. So I made it a point to book those days off. And so because of that, if I had the full day to myself for Cool Radio, it was a lot easier to kind of get through, you know, do the itinerary, head out to the studio, record, go live on the air, and then come back home. Easy peasy. You know, having, you know, working full time now um, and what have you, just a whole bunch of other responsibilities I have like outside of the show, 
you know, it, it got to a point where like, okay, I'm kind of getting burnt out right now. I'm getting a little fatigued. I need to, you know, sparse this out properly. And then, you know, by the time we get to, I would say the top of the year, um, in January of 2020, that's when it, it kind of started to feel as though it was kind of kicking in a bit. In fact, the last show that I did was probably the uh, week after Kobe died, to be honest. And that I think that the majority of that episode was a tribute to Kobe. And I think that was the last episode that, that I recorded. And from then on, I just kind of... I just kind of took it easy. I just kind of took it easy. And I said to myself, okay, I'll get back in the studio next month or whatever the case may be. I just kind of needed that time to myself. And then as I was ready to get back into the studio, boom, pandemic happens. And we didn't know what was going to happen um, during the pandemic. We didn't know how long it was going to last for. Uh, we didn't know, you know, what was going to be the repercussions of the pandemic as far as work situations and what have you. All we knew is that, you know, from here on out, it was a lockdown. It was a shutdown. Uh, if you had the ability to work from home, you were going to work from home. And that's exactly what I've been doing for the past year now. In fact, um, I think as of this recording, it's Saturday, March 13th. I think um, yesterday, March 12th, Friday, was actually the one-year anniversary of you know the lockdown being an official. And within the same week, that was also the same time when a lot of the sports leagues just shut it down. Like the NBA was the first one to shut it down, of course. And I remember coming into the pandemic like, okay, like this is actually a serious thing. And at first, and I'll be I'll be completely transparent, I didn't take it as seriously before the lockdown. I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is something that's probably just happening in Asia right now. And then like by the time we get to like later February, we're hearing about how it's spreading, you know, all across Europe. And then Somehow it made its way towards North America. And then you start hearing about celebrities getting corona. And then you hear about the NBA shutting down. Like, when I heard about the NBA shutting down, that, unfortunately, that's when I took it, like, really seriously. I'm like, oh, okay, this is actually a thing. And it shouldn't take for celebrity culture or anything like that for us to take a problem like the pandemic that seriously. But I feel like that's the society that we're, we're, we're conditioned to be in. And, you know, it is what it is at that point. But essentially, that's what happened. And so I started working from home, and I didn't know when I was going to do cool, cool radio again. Um, I knew that if I wanted to do it again, and if I was going to do it from home, I didn't just want to do it from you know a point where I had no proper equipment and what have you. Because I want to give you guys and girls like the best um, experience possible, you know, the best listening experience possible. I didn't just want to record from the microphone that's embedded in my laptop. I want to make sure I have like the proper stuff and what have you. Um, so I decided to kind of take a hiatus from it, but the cool thing, um, during the, during the break, um, was I got to do, or sorry, I actually got to hop on other people's podcasts and, and kind of hop on their, hop on their platform. And I, and I was a guest. And for me, that's different because I'm used to kind of being in control, manning the boards and making sure everyone's audio levels are a-okay. But in this scenario, all I got to do is show up and, and say my piece, which is kind of fun. So on that note, I want to give a big shout out to Awkward and Black. And I also want to give a big shout out to No Hard Feelings podcast. So those are two podcasts that you guys really need to listen to. Um, they got a lot of great informative content. So please uh, listen to those ones for sure. It's interesting because with the po- uh, sorry with the pandemic, it taught me that I shouldn't feel guilty 
about taking a break, you know? I shouldn't feel guilty about taking a breather when all I'm doing is busting my ass and, you know, making sure that my bills are paid and I'm saving up for something bigger and that, you know, I can just take a break and relax and recharge. And I think, you know, before the pandemic, when I was just telling you guys about how I I was kind of getting burnt out and what have you, I wasn't giving myself that time to just relax and breathe and what have you. So this pandemic really gave me a lot of perspective on that. And, you know, I know uh, there's been a lot of negative aspects about the pandemic. I mean, the the list goes on. But if there's one silver lining that I could find in it, it was that it allowed me to, to just breathe for a minute, to just breathe, take a breath. And just kind of enjoy the things that, you know, you may have taken for granted in the past. Um, for those who don't know, I live in Oakville. Um, and Oakville is, is along the lake shoreline. And my home isn't too far away from the, the, the lakeshore path, essentially. And I've only been there a handful of times <laughs> uh, since being in Oakville. During the pandemic, especially during the summertime, I've been there more times than I have, you know, during that during that summer break period, I've been there more times than I have during the what 13, 14 years I, that I've been living in Oakville. And, and again, the perspective, just to kind of walk along, you know, just like the lake and just kind of like gather your thoughts and what have you, and just make sure you you kind of appreciate the things that you have in life. Mind you, walking outside with a mask, of course, uh, social distancing. Practice it, people. Practice it. Uh, but yeah, no, just things like that. And then even like on my birthday, um, going for a hike. You know, like before then, I can't even remember the last time I went on a hike. But just going on a hike and enjoying nature and stuff like that. Uh, I know it sounds like the hippie thing <laughs> to say, but it, it's actually, you know, it's, it's, it's real talk. Uh, just, you know, being able to appreciate things that we take for granted, like nature and stuff like that, uh, was, was really helpful. Um, and then also just uh, kind of being a fly on the wall and just observing things and what have you, not always having to have like the first take on whatever issue is happening. Mind you, there were definitely some things that I really wanted to speak out on uh, during the pandemic and what have you. But I was like, you know what? I'm not there yet. I'll make the occasional posts on on social media here and there, but I'm not there yet where I want to have a full hour discussion on it. And trust me, there are a lot of things I wanted to talk about. Oh, man, like the George Floyd and Breonna Taylor tragedies. Definitely wanted to talk about that for sure. And I definitely had a few proud boys and proud girls try to infiltrate my uh, news feed on Facebook when I made my opinions made. But you already know your boy shut those fools down, as I always do. And I welcomed any and all challengers to try and knock me off of my throne. And clearly they couldn't because they're a whack of shit. <laughs> but yeah, I had those little encounters. Um, also, what happened during the pandemic? There's a lot of things that happened during the pandemic that, you know, were very eye-opening. Um, so many things, you know, like, and, and it's just not even just like things that were pandemic-related, but it was like, you know, a few little things here and there, like the whole Jada Pinkett, Will Smith interview and entanglements and stuff like that. Like, I really wanted to speak on that on my own, on my own platform, but I was lucky, I was gracious enough, or sorry, I was... Uh, lucky enough to you know speak on that on awkward and black as well so once again shout out to them uh, but yeah there's so many things that i wanted to talk about um uh, you know what i mean and one of the things that i really really wanted to kind of discuss and open up my heart on was 
in regards to the death of Chadwick Boseman. And that one hit me hard. Again, I had a post on it on social media. Um, you guys can see that on my own personal social media feed. Um, Instagram at Cool for Thought. Uh, that's where it's at, as well as on Facebook um, at, I think it's DM Cool on Facebook. It, just look up Daniel Mancy. You'll find it there. But anyways, uh, yeah, that was one of the things that I really wanted to talk about. And with that said, let's venture into the first topic uh, that I want to get into you know, with regards to the the new edition of Cool Radio. Um, but yeah, before I get into that, though, before I get into that, again, once again, I'm really happy to be back. I'm really happy that I now have my uh, my I guess my main my main vehicle of creativity back in my wheelhouse. You know what I mean? Like it's it's been a minute, but you know, uh, never late, but always on time. And I'm really gracious about that. And I really thank a lot of people who have been reaching out to me over like the last week or so. I've been dropping stories here and there uh, on IG. And people have just been like really receptive. Like, yeah, you're coming back. Okay, cool, cool, cool. People just DMing me and stuff like that. So, again, really, really, really cool to see. And I, and I really appreciate that from um, everyone who's reached out and stuff like that. <clears throat> but, yeah, let's get back into the swing of things, man. Like, I'm ready. Like, I'm ready to discuss a lot of things, man. I'm ready. So let's get into it. So, like I said, um, Chadwick Boseman was a major, major, major blow uh, with regards to his passing. And it, it, it was hard for a lot of reasons, for a lot of reasons, right? Reasons that I will get into immediately. And, you know, with the death of such an iconic figure, like, for me, it left a void in Hollywood, especially if we're talking about black Hollywood, because I've been very vocal about how for the past 10 years, there's been what I would like to call a new black renaissance within film and television. And we're seeing a lot of actors and directors and writers um, take to the set and basically deliver new takes on stories that we've heard before that are very refreshing or new stories that we've never seen on camera before to include everybody in the black experience. So it's not just somebody who's living in the hood. It's not just somebody uh, who is, you know, trying to start up a dance team or something like that. It's not just, you know, a, a toxic drama that we have to watch, you know, a toxic relationship drama or anything like that. We're seeing people in the, in the spaces of sci-fi and action and, and things that don't make us look like stereotypical tropes. And there's been so many shows and movies that, that fit that bill, that fit that bill within the last 10 years, whether it's Insecure, whether it's Atlanta, whether it's Luke Cage, whether it was Black Panther, Dope, you name it. There's been so many. And I'm glad to say that I've been here for all of that. And Chadwick was a major, major focal point in that. I feel like I'm not even saying this because I'm not even saying this because he's now passed, but I personally believe that as far as this generation is concerned, he could have been viewed in the same vein as a Denzel Washington has been for the longest time when it comes to uh, black actors specifically. I mean, as far as actors in general, yeah, he's definitely one of the greatest of all time. But when we're talking about black actors, he's definitely in the Mount Rushmore, I would say. And I feel like Chadwick could have been in that in that next tier, so to speak, for, for the newer generation. Like he was the Kobe to his MJ, so to speak. And it's just unfortunate that, you know, we lost him and, ironically enough, Kobe in the same year. And that was hard. Like, those were, like, two of the hardest celebrity deaths 
that I've had to endure because they've had an impact on my life at one point or another. I would say those two and Michael Jackson were probably like the three biggest uh, ones that impacted me the most. Um, but going back to Chadwick, though, one of the things that has been a question as of late, not even as of late, but arising out of his death was what's going to happen with Black Panther? Who is going to play the role of T'Challa? Um, where do we go from here? And I definitely had those questions. I didn't want to ask those questions immediately because we just lost a human being. You know, that's first and foremost. Uh, but, you know, a few months after his passing, uh, that question became more and more prevalent amongst YouTubers, podcasters, um, media, uh, media talents, you name it. And so for me, I was like, man, this rule needs to live. It, it needs to be carried on. But then we get the news, um, very polarizing news, I would say, that the role of T'Challa would not be recasted. And this is coming straight out of Kevin Feige, who is the president and lead producer of Marvel Studios. So when he said this, I was, I was, I was puzzled. Um, I was very puzzled. And then that kind of later led to disappointment. Now, there are other people who feel the complete opposite and feel like you're you're doing him justice by not recasting the role. But I'm one of the people who feel opposite. I feel like you're doing him an injustice by not having that role recast. And there are a lot of people who are going to argue that recasting the role diminishes and desecrates the legacy of Chadwick Boseman. But I would say, in contrast, that by only having by having that 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 role die with Chadwick Boseman, I feel like it's a way of saying that his legacy was Black Panther, and I feel like his legacy was bigger than Black Panther. I feel like Black Panther was a part of his legacy because the role or the character T'Challa has existed before him, and it should exist after him. And to say that you know if this character dies with him, then that's his legacy. I don't know. I think you, you kind of cheapen, you know, Chadwick's legacy by saying that this was his legacy. So getting the sense of the type of actor and the type of thespian that that um, Chadwick Boseman was, I feel like he would want this role to live on through another actor of some sort. And the main reason why he wanted he wanted to play this role is because he's been known to play roles um, of certain figures within within black history that either many people don't know about or do know about, but haven't really seen from a different lens before. I mean, I think he he, he really came to prominence when he played the role of Jackie Robinson. Um, he did James Brown hella justice, like amazing portrayal of him. Uh, he did an amazing portrayal of Thurgood Marshall. And, you know, his role as T'Challa, you know, the first black superhero in mainstream comic books was is extremely essential, especially if you take into account that we're in the age of comic book cinema, whether it's film or television. Like it's a huge staple in the pop culture lexicon of of this current generation right now. And my thing is, is the fact that, you know, me being a black me being a black male uh, of immediate African descent, especially. I don't get the luxury and privilege of seeing black comic book or black superhero figures as the lead 
in television or film that often. Like it's still a relatively new thing because before then, all we really had were sidekicks, and the sidekicks were really just a way to show the audience that the main pr- protagonist is not racist. <laughs> Let's be honest. It's like, oh, I'm diversity. Look at my black best friend right here. You know what I mean? Like that's basically what sidekick characters were used for, black sidekicks specifically. And then you also had characters who were black but were part of an, a large ensemble, like Storm of the X-Men, for example. Never really had a lead figure. The first lead figure I ever saw who was black was Blade. But Blade was more of like a rated R rated R character. And I wouldn't necessarily call him a superhero. He was more of an anti-hero, if you will, in, in a very dark and brooding way. That's not necessarily something that you want to market towards kids and stuff like that. No disrespect to Blade. I love Blade. I saw Blade when I was 10 years old. But, like, I was allowed to watch damn near anything at age 10, right? As long as it wasn't nudity. Like, everything was fair game. Um, but, yeah, like, you had him and then you had um, the character of Spawn. And that was even darker because you're talking about a character who was killed and then brought back to life by Satan and, you know, with the condition that he he carries on Satan's work. Again, not the type of character that you want to market towards children as well. But Black Panther, that's where you found the sweet spot right there. Because you can still appeal to a younger crowd and an older crowd at the same time. It was perfect. And for me, being of immediate African descent, this is one of the few times in my life that I've seen African culture represented in such a major way and to have t'challa as the focal point of that that was very enriching to me you know to see you know someone who's a king um who's a mentor someone who brings everything together he is the pinnacle of that wakandan culture and what have you that was refreshing to see and everything was so authentic about the film the clothing the dialects the accents everything was so so on point. And so to say that you're no longer going to recast, or I don't even know if recasting was even going to be an option, but to say that you're not going to recast that role, you're leaving a huge void now because we finally have a black lead character in a comic book property. And now that the actor who formerly portrayed him has now passed on, now you're going to say, well, we're, we're not going to have that because we want to honor the legacy of that actor. There's, I feel like if you recast the role, you are honoring that actor because he is the one who wanted to put that, that character on the forefront. And because of his passing now, you're basically kind of taking that away. You may not see it that way, but that's essentially what's happening. On top of that, there are so many... And I'm going into Marvel territory here, but there are so many directions that you can take with the character of T'Challa because of the storylines that that he is heavily involved in in the comics. And a lot of the storylines were potentially going to be adapted into the films. And whether you're talking about Doctor Doom or Namor, like these are very important uh, stories that they're going to adapt into the, into the movies to the point where T'Challa was potentially going to be in line to be the leader of the Avengers. So not only would you have a lead black superhero character in his own films, but now you could potentially make him the leader of the larger ensemble of films that grosses millions, no, billions of dollars. Like it seemed like a shoe in but now that we're no longer going to have the role of T'Challa being casted or recasted rather, we may never get to see that. 
And that's such a shame because the lore that T'Challa has is plentiful. And I get it. Black Panther is a title. So anyone can have the title of Black Panther as long as you're within royal blood and what have you. Sure, we could have it. And that's great. But T'Challa was the most iconic Black Panther. And that's another thing as well. A lot of people are saying, well, let Shuri be the new Black Panther. And I'm not opposed to that. But I don't want it happening in the immediate movie that's coming out next year. Because if anyone who's watched Marvel movies as far as like MCU is concerned, they pride themselves in longer format storytelling. So a lot of the character development happens throughout multiple movies rather than just one. It's not just, and as far as how they do sequels, the sequels don't automatically match up with the previous movie that came out. There are a whole bunch of other movies that come in between, and then you have the sequel. And so you, it's important that the audience sees the growth and progression that each character has made since each film has come out. And if we just jump into Shuri becoming Black Panther in the new movie that's coming out next year, we're not going to see a whole lot of character development happen because we've only seen Shuri in three movies. One of them was Black Panther. The other was Infinity War, which she had maybe like two minutes of dialogue at best. And then in Endgame, which she had no dialogue at all. It was just a, an appearance. So we haven't really seen that much growth and progression for her to even be considered the Black Panther or the new Black Panther. Um, and even when you look into her character, she's not very religious. She, she could care less about politics. And she doesn't really show much of an interest in, in combat. And is not really combat ready as of yet. So just to make her the Black Panther just because she's the Black Panther in comics, it seems a little disingenuous. And it's mainly because of the fact that we haven't seen that character growth and progression as of yet. So until we see that, we can't really have her as a Black Panther yet. Um, the producer also mentioned that they're also going to focus more on the world of Wakanda in the, in the uh, sequel. So I'm not mad at focusing on the other characters, but that's something that's much more suited for a Disney Plus series. So if you want to focus more on the world of Wakanda, then do it in a Disney Plus series. Don't do it in a movie, because that doesn't make any sense. Now, granted, we have the benefit of hindsight because months after Feige made that announcement, Ryan Coogler made the announcement, or I don't know if it was Ryan Coogler who announced it, but it was announced that uh, Coogler has signed an exclusive uh, deal with, uh, with uh, Mar uh, Disney, I believe, to produce uh, content for them. And one of the things that he was going to produce was um, a series based on Wakanda for Disney+. Plus. So that would be inserted into the MCU timeline as well. So I'm like, okay, cool. I'm not mad at that. That's fine. Um, but when we're talking about these movies here, Captain America, Thor, Black Panther, how weird would it be to have a movie about Captain America but not have Captain America in it? How weird would it be to have a movie about Iron Man, but not have Iron Man in it? How weird would it be to have a movie about Thor, but not have Thor in it? You know what I mean? And again, you know, I'm sure there are going to be people arguing that, oh, just like Black Panther, those are titles and mantles and anyone can have those. Agreed. But if you just looked at all the characters that I just mentioned, all three of those characters had the, the, the pleasure of having... Uh, trilogies, as well as making multiple appearances in other MCU films, which we got to see the growth and the character progression and what have you. T'Challa hasn't really had that much of 
you know, appearances in comparison to those other characters as well. So he wouldn't have been getting the same justice as them. So I just think that it's just a huge, huge missed opportunity on Marvel's part or Disney's part, whoever made the executive decision to to carry this out, to not have to challenge in these films because you're doing the audience a disservice. You're doing the comic books a disservice. And I firmly believe that you're doing um, Chadwick Boseman, the memory of Chadwick Boseman a disservice. And I don't know what the other actors have said with regards to this news. Um, I'm not going to try and, and gaslight them and say, well, no, they're just saying that because, you know, it's they're, they're just trying to keep their jobs. No, for all I know, they probably do feel that that role shouldn't be recasting, but I don't know that for a fact. I've only heard snippets of what Dale Kaluuya said, and that was for an interview for Judas and the Black Messiah. I haven't heard what Lupita uh, Nyong'o has said. I haven't heard what Denai Greer has said. I haven't heard what Letitia Wright has said. I haven't heard what Winston Duke has said. I haven't heard what any other of the actors or producers of that of that of that film has said. I don't know, but I would. I would be confident in believing that Marvel would be able to find a competent actor that the director and that the cast and crew would respect and acknowledge. And that actor would also be trusted to carry out the ideals and views of the character of T'Challa that was represented supremely by Chadwick Boseman. So just as a comic book fan, it's very disappointing knowing that this role will not be recasted. I, I'm blindly, optimistically hopeful that they change their mind, but I don't think it's gonna go that route. I think we're gonna get to a point where we really won't have to chill up in Black Panther going forward, which is such a bummer because that character is just as important as Steve Rogers or as Tony Stark or as Thor Odinson or as Reed Richards or anyone in Marvel, in Marvel's history, you know, um, especially if we're talking about a, char- a character that's very representative of the black community as a whole, regardless of where you are in the diaspora. I mean, putting that character on, on film just showed that you can sell a movie, a movie that's predominantly black actors. They showed that. They definitely showed that. And you had T'Challa as the pinnacle of that. But with Black Panther 2 not having T'Challa recasted, where do you go from there? There has to be a lead. Like you can't you can't have a movie of that magnitude not have a lead character. If this is an Avengers situation, then I get it because there's so many uh personalities that you're juggling. But for a for a title like this, you need a lead character. And and this is the thing that, that angers me the most because for the last 40 or 50 years, we've been getting superhero films. And through the decades and generations, we've had multiple different actors who have played the roles of Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, the Hulk, you name it. There, there's been so many. There's been so many. And it's it, it, it's funny because, you know, there's all this chit chat about superman being recasted and what have you and everyone's losing their minds and stuff like that oh my gosh they're gonna recast superman listen at least for the superman fans out there you have the privilege of having your character recasted throughout the generations 
Black people finally got themselves a lead superhero. A lead superhero. And because of the actor's, you know, untimely passing, unfortunately, we don't even get to see that 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 particular character reborn and recasted. But people are out here complaining and bitching about the fact that Superman is gonna be recasted. Whoop de freaking do. How many times has this guy been recasted for? Like We've had so many. In fact, there's even a Superman t- TV show that's currently on the air right now that was brand new that just came out a few weeks ago. But people are bitching about the fact that Superman is being recasted in films. Must be nice. You know, we've had how many Batman? And, and listen, before people start thinking that, oh, I'm a Marvel fanboy, well, I am. But more importantly speaking, Batman is my favorite superhero of all time. I love Batman, I stand on Batman. But even at this point in my life, I'm kind of getting tired of the recastings of Batman. We've had Batman in how many movies now? Like, literally, for four straight decades, we've had at least one different Batman. In the 80s, it was uh, Michael Keaton. In the 90s, we had two more Batman. It was Val Kilmore and George Clooney. In the 2000s, we had Christian Bale. In the 2010s, we had Ben Affleck. And then now in 2020, well, I don't know what's going to happen, but apparently it's supposed to be Robert Robert Pattinson, but we don't know what's happening with that. And then there's just been so many iterations of that character. Spider-Man, probably my favorite Marvel superhero of all time. In the last 20 years, there, there have been three actors who have played that role uh, as far as live action films are concerned. And we're about to get all three of those Spider-Man actors to, to portray themselves as Spider-Man in the new upcoming Spider-Man movie. So you mean to tell me that we get to have three Spider-Man in one movie, we get to have a litany of, of actors play the, the, the role Superman, and we've had a litany of actors play the role of Batman. Hell, we've even had a litany of actors play the role of the Joker. Just a Rolodex of them. But we can't get one, one person, one actor who's comparable enough to play the role of T'Challa. And why? Because we want to, it's seen as a way of honoring his death? No, that you're dishonoring his death and his legacy by not having that role recasted. If that was the case, then we wouldn't see another person play Superman after Christopher Reeves. We wouldn't see another person play Batman after Adam West. We wouldn't see another person play the Joker after Heath Ledger. But no, the reason why we can't get another actor to play T'Challa is because we want to honor his legacy. I said this at the beginning, I'm going to say this again. Chadwick Boseman's legacy is not Black Panther. It's not T'Challa. T'Challa and Black Panther are a part of Chadwick's legacy. His legacy is bigger than the Black Panther. It just happens to be a part of it. And I think that's the thing that some people are getting misconstrued and that they need to understand. I don't know if it's because of the fact that we are now in the society where everyone is overly sensitive and everyone has a fear of being canceled. If people on Twitter don't, you know, uh, aren't happy with what's happening or what have you. I don't know if that's the case. But if that's the case, then... You know, that shouldn't be the case. So I don't know where you guys stand on that. Um, Agree with me, disagree with me. It's cool. Uh, But feel free to let me know. 
hit me up on all my socials at Cool Radio CC. Share me your thoughts on that because this is something that I've been thinking about for a very long time now. I'm not reading off of any script or teleprompter or anything like that. I'm just going off the cuff right now because, again, this is, this is something that I feel very strongly about. Someone who is uh, a black man who has been watching comic book properties from the time that he was two years old. Somebody who's of immediate African descent who finally gets a proper representation of just general continental African culture. You know, none of this uh, world vision bullshit, none of this UNICEF stuff, none of this, hey, uh, I went on a trip with my girlfriend to Africa to be a missionary. None of that bullshit. I don't know, man. It's 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 mind-boggling. Like, this is, like, it's the biggest solo title in Marvel's wheelhouse thus far in terms of the amount of money it made. It made more money than Infinity War domestically. People were buying out movie theaters for people to watch this thing, you know? It was a global and cultural phenomenon. It was the first superhero film, the first comic book adapted film to be nominated for an Oscar. People will debate that Dark Knight should have been that, but it wasn't. Simple as that. And I don't think any other superhero film has had more nominations in general than Black Panther. I could be wrong on that. Feel free to fact check me on that. But throughout all of that, the, the, the pinnacle and the pinpoint of that film was the character of T'Challa. Listen, all I'll say is this. And feel free to disagree with me on this if you like. But if this is any other superhero, if this was Thor, if this is Captain America, God, if this is Iron Man, and you're, gonna, and you're about to tell everyone that Tony Stark or whomever will no longer be in this film and that the movie will be about the surrounding characters of said film, oh, please believe, there would be a riot that would happen on the internet far worse than what the Proud Boys were doing on Capitol Hill. I promise you that. But hey, that's just my opinion. But nonetheless... We're going to keep things moving. We're going to go from one royal African family to the other. And I am talking about um, coming to America. All right. Coming to America, I should say. All right. We're going to talk about that. Coming to America came out last week and it was met with mixed reviews. That's me saying, saying it nicely. It was met with mixed reviews. So... You had some people who liked it. They thought it was funny and, you know, it was a little trip down memory lane where there was other people who were saying how it was terrible. It seems like a parody of the first coming to America. The jokes are funny. So let's unpack that. OK, let's unpack that. So I'm going to give you my honest take on coming to America, coming to America, so to speak. Um, if I do have any spoilers in here, um, forgive me. Um, just let you know that there could be spoilers in here. So if you haven't seen it yet, um, Come back to this later on after you've seen it and we'll talk about it. But nonetheless, I saw it and coming into it, I kept my expectations low because you're not going to beat or even come close to beating the cultural masterpiece that was coming to America. A lot of people will say that it was a cult classic. I think it was a classic, period, because we have because at that time in 1988, you had never seen anything like that before. You had never seen a large ensemble of black actors, both current and up and coming, in one film. You know, a, lo a lot of careers were made off of that film. Like, a, 
at his career was already in the thick of things and, and it just propelled it that much more and made the career of Louis Anderson. It was one of the first films that Samuel L. Jackson starred in. Um, John Amos, who was a veteran actor at the time, kind of got, you know, a, a boost of energy in his career after that. Uh, Arsenio Hall, I mean, that boosted his career exponentially. I mean, it, was, it wouldn't be long after that he would get his own syndicated talk show. So, you know, that movie did so much for, for the actors that were involved. And, you know, it showed, you know, black people in a way that wasn't so stereotypical. Sure, the movie was a parody on African culture because not all, or I don't think any royal dig- dignitaries of, of African culture have lions and gazelles and zebras running through their through their backyards like free range. I, I doubt that's the case. <laughs> but nonetheless, it was a, an ambitious comedy um, that kind of took a lot of people's careers to the next level. And it showed black people in, in a different light that, that the mainstream hadn't been used to seeing. So it was going to be hard to replicate that because there have been so many advancements within black cinema for the last 30 plus years. And within that time, we saw a movie like Black Panther that kind of, you know, showed some of those features. So with this movie, I said to myself, you know what? If it comes out, great. If it doesn't, cool. Because doing a sequel for a movie 30 years in the making, you're not going to beat that because time is not on your side. People have time to digest the classic that was coming to America. And with, as time passes on, a property like that ages well like fine wine. So the longer you take, the harder you're going to make it for yourself to replicate that magic that you had with that first film because that was lightning in a bottle as far as I'm concerned. And so it's, 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 I, don't, I don't know how many people had the expectation that it was going to be on the same level, but... For me, I lowered my expectations. I was like, you know what? I'm coming into this with an open mind. I just want a cheap laugh. I want to break from the monotony of what I've been seeing in black films lately. The last couple of films I saw were Judas and the Black Messiah, which is, again, another black oppression film. Great film, great acting, but I already knew what the outcome was going to be, and I didn't want to see it, but like Keith Stanfield and uh, Dale Kaluuya were in it, so I had to see it. And then... I also saw Malcolm and Marie. This is one of the most toxic relationship films I've ever seen in my life. Holy shit. I'm never watching that again. Not saying it's a bad movie, but my God, get some fucking counseling. Holy shit. Anyways, that's, I'll leave that for another pod. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, going back to coming to America. Yeah, I just, I just wanted to laugh. I just wanted to laugh. I didn't want to see any black drama. I didn't want to see people getting shot. I didn't want to see black people getting oppressed. I just wanted to laugh, all right? So I with a couple of my friends as well. So I think that also enhanced my experience uh, with the film. And anyways, overall, I thought it was, it was a simple comedy. It was a simple comedy. Like, the storyline was pretty basic and generic. I wasn't expecting anything major out of that. Um, the jokes, some of the jokes landed. Uh, other jokes, not so much. But whatever, I was there to laugh at those jokes anyway. Um, it was very nostalgia heavy, I would say. So like they were relying upon a lot of references from the from the original film, which I didn't mind. I'm like again because like my my bar was so low. But I feel like you know if you're gonna rely that much on nostalgia, then the writing in the film probably isn't gonna be the greatest. And I've seen that with other films in the past. 
And the writing in this film was okay. Like, it was nothing in comparison to what it was in the first film. And I feel like some of the comedy within this film kind of suffered for it because of the fact that Eddie has already been approached by the cancel police. You know, so everybody's watching him now. So a lot of the jokes that he was making in the first one, he can't really make in this one because everyone's going to say that he's being, whether it's misogynistic or... He's being ignorant towards other cultures and communities. Somebody's going to come after him one way or another. And I feel like because of that, certain jokes didn't, didn't really stick or didn't fly. So my overall experience with coming to America, it was okay. Like I looked at it in the same vein as like an Adam Sandler comedy. All right. Take that with what you will. But you know you're going to get a cheap laugh regardless. So that's the mentality that I had going in. Um... Yeah, it, and, and there's a whole bunch of, like, guest appearances in there as well from, like, a whole bunch of other uh, actors, comedians, musicians, and stuff like that. And I think people just want to be a part of it because it's such a huge cultural moment in uh, black pop culture, essentially. And that's fine. Like, I, I get it. Like, people want to have – people have their attachments to it, and they want to have their own personal attachment to it going forward if, if they have the opportunity to do so. So I'm not mad at it for that. But, yeah, my expectations were super low. I did not want to put this on the pedestal. Like, it's not like, it's not like uh, my expectations for, let's say, Black Panther, for example, were that were super high because of so much I was riding on it. This was just, you know what? I'm ready for a laugh. I just want to laugh. I don't, I don't care. I don't care about the legacy of coming to America. If I want coming to America, I will watch the original one. That that's that's my mentality. Like, this is just, this is just like a nostalgia grab. This is a nostalgia grab. That's basically what it is. Um, I'll tell you what, what, what else was a nostalgia grab, uh, Shaft, uh, the Shaft movie that came out in 2019, that movie was shit, like, we didn't even see the villain in that movie until, like, the last 20 minutes, that movie was absolute shit, I'm never watching that again, I can tell you that much, um, but this movie right here, would I watch it again? I might give it one more watch, you know, if I'm watching it with someone, then sure, by myself, nah, not necessarily sure, depending on what my, what my, what my, uh, mood is. I might watch it by myself just to see if my experience is different from when I was watching it with other people. I might I might do that as a little social experience with, with social experiment with myself, so to speak. But just for casual viewing, yeah, there's a lot of other movies I need to watch that I haven't watched yet. So I'm gonna put that on hold. But all I'll say is this. I'm not even going to try and debate with people as to why they didn't like the movie because I actually completely understand as to why they didn't like it. A lot of people were saying that the writing was bad. Um, the dialogue was cringy at times. Uh, it kind of felt like a parody of the first one. Um, the CG in certain areas w w was pretty lacking. And and yeah, that, those were probably the four main things that I heard. And honestly, I'm not going to dispute that. I'm not going to dispute that. You have a valid case in proving that. You don't, and mind you, you don't have to prove that to me. Like, I get where you're coming from. Like, I saw all those things too. I think for me personally, I just kind of let that slip by the wayside because I just wanted a cheap laugh. Because again, like I said before, I went into it like I would with an Eddie, Mer or sorry, with a, with an Adam Sandler comedy. I just wanted a cheap laugh, and that's exactly what I got. Got a cheap laugh. Got to laugh it up with some friends as well, and that's all I wanted. I just wanted the bare minimum in that, and yeah. But even even without all that, I came into it knowing that it wasn't going to be anywhere near the original. Because anytime you have a movie that's 30 years in the making as a sequel, 
you're not it's not gonna hit i mean the same thing happened with the with the, with the ghostbusters reboot i don't know if that was supposed to be a sequel or if that was a reboot altogether but again a property like that it's, it's gonna be hard to replicate it's gonna be hard to replicate because that was a cultural phenomenon in and of itself during the 80s so that's my take on it um i don't know how everyone else feels about coming to america uh but whether you love it or whether you hate it let me know because i'm curious to get your thoughts on that uh hit me up on my socials cool radio cc or cool for thought on instagram um or dm underscore cool on on most platforms and let me know because i'm curious to get the uh, feedback for that because again mixed reviews uh mixed responses very polarizing responses if i may say so myself now let's go from one beloved royal family to a despised and despicable royal family. Let's get into this Meghan Markle stuff, okay? Let's get into that. Because I've been dying to get to that. Meghan Markle made headlines this past week when she was on an interview with Oprah. Her and her husband, uh, uh, Harry. Is it Prince Harry, I believe? Um, they, they were being interviewed by Oprah and just talking about their experience with the royal family. Mostly Meghan. And Megan was saying how they expected her to act a certain way and conduct a certain way that was uh, exemplary of the royal family. And they were saying how she was saying how there were concerns from the royal family about as to how dark her children would be because of the fact that she is half black. They were saying how that child would not have the same luxuries and personal securities as her and her husband would have and they're basically saying that they would be cut off from the royal family if they were to leave so a lot of these things were not surprising to me because i was watching a documentary last year about uh Meghan markle's time as part of the royal family and how you know the media just blasted her and called her all, all sorts of names and how you know, the royal family did nothing to protect her or defend her and how they didn't give her certain luxuries that they would for other members of the royal family. And to me, I wasn't surprised. I wasn't surprised at all, mainly because of the fact that it's the fucking British royal family. This is the same family that's been colonizing black people for how many centuries now? It's the same royal family that's appropriate aspects of different cultures that they've colonized for years. And I've been saying this for the longest time. And no disrespect to all my people who live in the UK, y'all are great, but your government is trash. Simply because of the fact that they have been pandering to this royal family for so long now. This is a family that has no government power whatsoever, yet they're at the forefront of the fucking parliament. And the taxpayers of the UK have to send their money towards the royal family so that they can take their, their world tours so they can have their royal weddings, so they can wave at you like, ta-ta, ta-ta, hello, bitches, like, and all that shit. All that money, all your taxpayer money goes to them so they can have all these little excursions and shit like that. And you're trying to tell me that some of y'all are surprised that there's racial inequality happening within the royal family done unto Meghan Markle? Really, people? Did you not see the fucking redneck storm the Capitol and, and, not, and cops not do anything about it? Did you see that? But yet, people want to want to cry and, sit and be like, "No, it's not true. It's not true. They're not racist. Leave the queen alone." Listen, I know you want to hang on to your Disney princess fairy tale and live vicariously through through whomever is sitting on the throne, 
But that shit isn't real. That's not your reality. It is the reality of the 1%. All right? And for all the people who are surprised that racism was involved and, and everything like that, look at how these motherfuckers dress. You got the men in the family dressing up like Captain Crunch. Like we're about to go into a civil war. And you're telling me that you're surprised that racism was happening? Listen, these people are about as old-fashioned as Fig Newtons. And you're trying to tell me that you're surprised that racial inequality was happening in that house. The same country, and I'm talking about Great Britain, the same country that said in their national anthem or said in one of their roaring speeches that they would never be slaves and that the sun would never set on their empire. This is the same country that basically colonized at least one third, if not half, of the African continent. All right. They, they, these are the same people who brought Western and Central Africans from their motherland continent all the way to the southern United States, the Caribbean, and parts of South America. Actually, with South America, that was more of the Spanish, but I digress. These are the same people who did that. These are the same people who are actually taking Jamaicans, uh, first, first generation Jamaicans, and basically deporting them back to Jamaica. Keep in mind, first gen, these are first gen people, meaning that they were the first people in their family to be born in England. And yet, the government is finding ways like ICE in America to take these people away from the UK, which is the only land that they have ever known in their lives. And they are deporting them to Jamaica, all because their parents are from there. And you want to sit here and tell me that you are shocked that there is so much racism that was happening to Meghan Markle, so much to the point that you can't even believe it? Like, you can't believe the fact that they were concerned about how dark their child would be and how it would taint the legacy of the royal family? Are you fucking dumb? I'm sorry, but like you're either dumb, ignorant, or you just don't want to believe at all. And we're going to get to one person in particular who doesn't want to believe it at all. Don't worry. I'm saving that that claff for later on. I promise you that. Man, I haven't been this riled up in a minute. This feels great. Anyways, so again, Markle is going on about her experience, about you know what she's endured in the, uh, in, in the royal family. But then you have Oprah, and listen, I know Oprah is like black excellence personified in a lot of people's eyes, and I get why. But Oprah didn't need to act all surprised and shocked when she heard this shit. Oprah has been around, has been alive longer than Meghan Markle, right? She has probably forgotten more racism than Markle will ever experience. And Oprah is out is is in this interview sitting pretended to be surprised like when she was like when markle told her about the baby thing and and how uh concerned they would be about the the skin tone of the baby oprah had the audacity to be like what i'm sorry oprah no no oprah you do not get to be surprised this is you are the same person who who has been trying to fight for your own equality for years. The fact that you were able, that you had to fight to get your own television talk show, the fact that you had to fight to make your way into Hollywood. No, you, I'm sorry. Like, I know you want to empathize and, and, and show that you care and that, and, and that you, 
you mourn for the experience that she's gone through. But come on, don't give me the what? No, come on. You are in the color purple. The color purple. All's my life I had to fight. You're in that movie. You do not get to act surprised. You were in The Butler. You do not get to act surprised. You were in Selma. You do not get to act surprised. Okay? So please spare me the fake tears and what have you. I'm not trying to say that you don't care, but don't patronize the girl by being like, what? They actually did that? Because now you sound like one of the white people who are trying to dismiss the idea of racism taking place upon, upon Meghan Markle. And it's funny because I remember when Markle first got married or first, was first uh, seen dating Prince Harry and what have you. And there were quite a number of black women out here talking about, oh, my God, yay, get it, sis. We're royalty now. Hey, black girl magic. Hey, hey, hey. Where's that black girl magic now? Huh? Where is it? And listen, I'm not dissing black girl magic. I think black girl magic is a beautiful thing. But the fact that you now want to big up somebody that you gave two shits about because they're now... Being married into royalty, now you see their value. It's funny because I remember a rap lyric that I remember listening to when I was 16, and it holds weight to this day. And the lyric goes all goes as followed: A man's status depends on salary. Man, woman, it's status depends on salary. So no matter so if you have a high ranking status within society, that's when people will actually view you. As someone who's important or someone who is seen as an asset of sorts. And so for people to be bigging up Meghan Markle when they probably didn't even know who she was, especially when it comes to some black women, it's like, really? Now you want to big her up now that she's a queen? Well, look what royalty gave her. It gave her nothing but anguish, you know? And it's interesting because as we see Meghan Markle, she is not only light skinned, but she is somebody who can come across as, I would say, um, racially ambiguous. You know, I, I'll i be honest, I never really knew about Meghan Markle until this whole thing. You know, I had no opinion on her. Uh, and then people were telling me how she used to be a Nickelodeon kid and how she was on the show Suits, I believe. I've never seen Suits before, though. But nonetheless, you know, you have a biracial woman who got this much racial treatment. Imagine if she was dark-skinned. First of all, if she was dark-skinned, the family would not even entertain that shit. They'd be like, yo, end this relationship now. End that shit now or we'll end it for you. And I'm not trying to be funny when I say that. I'm saying that they'd probably end her shit if she was a few shades darker. God forbid she's the same shade as Lupita Nyong'o. Oh, my goodness. Whew. But, man, all these people were bigging her up. Yeah, we have queen. We have a queen now. We have a queen. You shouldn't have to look to white society to crown you as a king or queen or any society for that matter to crown you as a king or queen. Look at the history of West Africans. There have been so many royal influential figures throughout history that just because you may not know about doesn't mean that they don't exist. You're on your phone, you know, Snapchatting your life away or TikToking till there's no time left on the clock when you could be researching all these things, man. 
research Massa Musa, you know, and, and tell me that there wasn't black royalty back in the day. Not to get on my Hotep shit, but again, people only want to co-sign royalty when, you know, someone else is co-signing it for them. People want to, want to compare themselves, some black people out there want to compare themselves to Egyptians and everything like that, but no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but none, none of y'all are Egyptian, all right? None of y'all have lineage to, to, to Egypt, unless if you were born in Sudan, maybe, maybe, but we're talking about thousands upon thousands of years ago if that's the case, so no, you're going to have to try again. You're going to have to try harder. But yeah, going back to this Meghan Markle thing, I mean, I'm not surprised that this happened. Um, it sucks that it happened. Um, I'm... I'm at least happy to know that Harry was by her side, um, you know, defending her and what have you and, and doing what he's supposed to do as her man. Um, and it's a shame that she went through this, you know, like she didn't sign up to be royalty. She just wanted to, you know, uh, share her life with with that person and look at the price that she paid. Like her mental health was affected greatly. Like this woman talked about potentially committing suicide because a bunch of old windbags didn't like the way that she that she looked when half of these motherfuckers look like they spent too much time in the sun and they're fucking melting away like melted ice cream ugly ass people look like swamp monsters with their with their uk dental plans out here with teeth looking like gang signs <sighs> listen i don't want to hear anyone trying to big up england to my face again all right i have nothing against the the, the british people i love the british people like, there's been so many great people come out of Britain. I'm not even going to go down the list of names because we'd be here all night. But the government in Britain and some of the ideals that Britain represents, I'm not a fan of. I'll be honest. I'm not a fan of. I'm not a fan of. So, again, anyone who gives power or, or validation to the royal family and all this hoity-toity, you know, blue-blooded, upscale bullshit, check yourselves, man. Honestly, check yourselves, because it ain't all that cracked up it is to be. And we've heard it from her account first. And that brings me into the final segment of tonight's episode. Um, ladies and gentlemen, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't said this in a minute. Allow me to lean in on this one. Give me a second. Give me a second. Hold on. Whew, it's been a minute since I've said this. Who? has entered the shallow walls of the Hall of Shame this week. Who has been crowned the captain of coonery this week? Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for Wankster of the Week. We said you were Wankster and you need to stop fighting. Oh man, that felt good to say. Man, I was hoping I wouldn't stumble on that either and I didn't, thank goodness. But anyways, I digress. Listen, this week's Wankster of the Week, it comes to no surprise... That it is on-air personality, actually on-air no-having personality, Pierce Morgan, a.k.a. almost Simon Cowell, a.k.a. just a stereotypical British male windbag who thinks he's too full of himself. Pierce Morgan is getting the wankster of the week because of the fact that this guy basically quit his own show after one of his black male um, on-air co-hosts told him something about himself, and then he just leaves the set because he didn't want to deal with it anymore. So apparently, this guy has been talking shit about Meghan Markle for the last two years, talking about how she doesn't uphold the standards of the royal family, talking about how 
um, she doesn't take these traditions seriously and how she's not good enough and not fit to be a part of the royal family. And Pierce Morgan is a part of the media circus that has been attacking Meghan Markle for the last two or three years. And I think it got to a point where she may have made a comment about him or she blocked him off social media, whatever the case may be, and he caught feelings over it. Mind you, this guy probably has, you know, a little something, something for the sisters. And I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised, especially from the moment he interviewed Beyonce a few years back and he was looking at her a certain kind of way that I'm surprised Hove didn't want to, you know, bring the goon squad out. But hey, I digress. Anyways, so he's been talking greasy about her for the last couple of years now. She blocks him off social media, says a little something about him that he probably needed to hear, but didn't want to hear. And then since then, his tirades on this woman has been so, so unbearable to say the least. On top of that, once she, once that interview aired of her talking to Oprah, he went on his show. I think it's Good Morning Britain. I don't know if that's his show or if he's the main host of it, but he went on the show talking about how he, how that woman has desecrated the legacy of the royal family. First of all, that legacy has already been desecrated because they've been colonizing multiple countries for centuries and on top of that have been housing slaves for centuries and probably had slaves build their royal ass castle let's be honest so their legacy is already desecrated please and thank you very much and on top of that saying how uh she is defaming the character of the royal family as well they did that themselves when they probably had princess diana killed let's be honest people don't want to talk about that but whatever and when we're talking about desecrating the legacy of the royal family and then in the name of it, wasn't one of the royal members of the family accused of pedophilia? Yet that got swept under the rug by the press. Hmm. But nobody wants to talk about that. We want to talk about Meghan Markle and whether or not she's too dark to be a part of the royal family. But no, people want to ignore the fact that there's a member of the royal family that was linked to a pedophilia case. Interesting interesting and the media didn't care to to the british media specifically didn't care to talk about that either hmm interesting now it's funny because the british media has an agreement with the uh with the royal family basically if the royal family you know compensates them i don't know if it's through money probably through money or no no they say that if they if they if the royal family gives them certain media access then the media will, will talk nice about the royal family. That's what it was. Okay. And Pierce Morgan being part of that, being part of that British media, probably has a few perks here and there, which is why he's basically dick riding the proverbial penis that is the royal family. And he's just hanging on the scrotum for dear life at this point, talking about you are desecrating the good name and and the and the galler and ganter of, of the royal family. <laughs> like, fuck off, all right? Fuck off. You have, like, three triple chins at this point, and you look like you're one Big Mac away from having a fucking heart attack. So go fuck off and go fuck yourself, all right? And I'm glad that black guy, I don't know who he was, but I'm glad he told him something about himself. And the fact that he didn't want to listen to it anymore and he just got up and left it shows you about a lot of the character that he has and then it's not like anyone made him quit the show he quit himself he quit himself so at the end of the day you know when you have people like Piers Morgan Piers Morgan needs to take a good look at himself and ask himself 
how many dicks did he have to suck to get to where he's at in life today? So if you're asking me if this guy deserves the wanks of the week, he most certainly does. And ladies and gents, that is that is it for tonight's show. Um, listen, want to thank y'all for tuning in. Really want to thank y'all for tuning in. It's been a minute since I've done this. Um, felt good doing it. It felt really good doing it. And I can't wait to do it more so on, on, a, on a regular weekly basis. Uh, next week, I got my man, basketball coach and athletic trainer, uh, Justin Alleman in show. Uh, in, well, not necessarily in studio. I can't even say in studio anymore. But I will have him on the show nonetheless, on the pod, if you will. Uh, he came out with a couple of new books recently, so we're going to discuss that. Probably some hoops and a whole lot more. Uh, but yes, once again, uh, follow me on multiple platforms at uh, Cool Radio CC. You can also follow me personally at DM underscore cool. And with that said, thank you once again for tuning in. I know it's been a year. Been a long time. Shouldn't have left you without a cold beat to step to. But we here. And we ain't going nowhere else. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in once more. And just so you know, Cool Radio is a division of Cool Click Media and Entertainment. Reminding you each and every day that we are creating our own legacies. Keep it gravy and wavy. We are out of here. Peace.